0: All right, thank you so much for that. I do want to warn you, I will cry today. Uh, Make no doubt about it. Uh, I am so uh, going to miss being a part of this family. Um, And as I do for three months, yes, it's a long time. Um, But as I do every year, I just want to thank you for who you are, who you've been to each other, who you've been to this community. And on a personal note, who you've been to me. I, I am so much more of a better person Uh, because of the many lives of people here. So thank you, this community. It reminds me that this book works. You know, when we are this kind of community to each other, it reminds me that what God said will happen when we are together really will happen. So thank you again for that. On that note, now time to move on to my business voice. Welcome, uh, every (laughs) nation. It is good to see you. Uh, All jokes aside, if you're a guest yet, thank you so much for joining us. I really do hope you feel at home. We're on a series titled The King and His Kingdom, and we are taking a very quick, very brief look at the book of Matthew. Um, About 12 years ago, I was involved in a team that was supposed to put together the very first We Will Worship concert. Now, um, I was tossed because I was a worship leader at Vits, to meet with the lady who was the worship leader at UJ and uh, collaborate with her so that, you know, the campus ministries can come together and, man, we're going to do this uh, We Worship thing, right? And so we did. Met at Mug and Bean. Uh, she came about an hour and a half late, uh, but was there. Mug and Bean. Now, that was the first mistake. Now, in, in my age group, 12 years ago, if you were to meet anyone at Mug and Bean, we knew One of two things were about to happen. One, it's either you're about to get into a relationship or you're about to be dumped. Either way, tissues are involved. Okay? So we knew, right? That was the first mistake. You have to go to a neutral venue. KFC, Wimpy. Those are friend zones. If you go to Wimpy, what you're trying to say is never. You know what I mean? That's it. Wimpy, KFC, those are the dynamics. We're letting you know. Those who are struggling to say, hey, I don't want to do it. Take them to KFC. They will know exactly what you're trying to say. And so we're there, right? We're having this conversation. We start talking about the concert, and almost two minutes into talking about the concert, man, we deviated, and we spent about three hours speaking about everything else besides the concert. Uh, A month or two later, the concert came. The concert went quite well. It was great. But the thing I was most excited about, the thing that was the best out of all that could have happened in that whole moment, is that dead? Mug and bean, though she was an hour and a half late, I found my wife, right? Yeah. That was the thing. It was the one. Yeah. I'm excited. I am so glad that in all the demands of life and in all that we we're trying to do, that I didn't get distracted at seeing and finding the treasure that was in front of me. Don't you ever find it that sometimes we get so caught up in the stuff of life that we can actually miss the treasures that are meant to come in life? And funny enough, this is exactly what the book of Matthew is all about. Matthew is writing to a Jewish people who completely missed the treasure that was God becoming flesh, and they completely missed the fact that He had lived amongst them, that the Word of God breathed, lived, moved in their midst, and they couldn't recognize it. The exact same thing that they had been longing for, the exact same treasure that they had been looking for, they missed it because they got caught in their traditions, in their religion, in all their expectations and all the stuff, and they missed the treasure that was inside, in front of them. And Matthew takes time to unpack to these Jewish people who this Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. He says, listen, this Jesus that you have crucified, this Jesus that you rejected, well, he's the cornerstone. He's the king of kings. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the servant of the Lord. You you messed it up. And all these things that he's doing, all these miraculous signs and wonders and these teachings that are filled with such uh, uh, life-giving authority and life-giving spirit, all these teachings that he's giving The words and the deeds that he's demonstrating in front of you, all of these are to tell you that the kingdom of God has now violently and permanently come into the world, and you cannot stop it. This kingdom that God made so that all of life might be redeemed and restored to him, when the kingdom comes, it is meant to redeem and restore. It makes the crooked parts straight. That's why in whatever ministry career you're in, please don't miss what I just said. Whatever it is that you're doing is ministry unto the Lord. It is the place where God has given you delegated authority to distribute his kingdom and make that which is wrong right. I am so glad you're doing what you're doing. I, I want you to know that you don't have to stand on a platform behind a pulpit. To do the work of the kingdom. Your pulpit is different to mine. Mine is see-through and stuff like that. Yours might be a desk. Yours might be a computer. Yours might be a mic. Yours might be a pen. That is your pulpit from which you distribute the kingdom to the world. And so he's explaining to the Jewish people, here's the king, here is his kingdom. And now this is how you need to respond to the king and his kingdom. And I want to take time. This was actually quite hard to do because the book of Matthew is dense, deep. It's amazing. But I wanted to take time to look at three ways that God encourages us to respond to him. And the, the, the way I kind of came to this is that there's a term that keeps on being repeated maybe about three or four times in the book of Matthew, which is enter the kingdom of heaven. Enter the kingdom of heaven. And it gives a, 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 a prefix to it. It, it. it is preceded by particular conditions. That if you want to enter the kingdom of God, there, there's a certain thing. There, there's a certain way in which you enter the kingdom of God. And so I want to look at this. To try and encourage all of us from the vantage point of Matthew speaking to the Jewish people. What you and I are meant to do in response to the king and his kingdom. So let's pray and we'll get to the word. Daddy, thank you. The privilege of preaching your word. Father, I pray today for divine grace, Father. The grace to not only hear your word, but the grace to obey it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The first tension I want us to talk about today is that when you are entering the kingdom, you have one of two options. It's either you try and approach God, you approach his kingdom through self-righteousness or Christ's righteousness. And only one of those allows you to enter. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew 5. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Let me expand very briefly on this. Ever had a friend who is uh, watching something illegally or doing something illegal and then they come to you and you're like, ah, it's fine. This is what that text means. Let me help you again. Therefore, any one of you who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly to do so, you will be the least in the kingdom. When you, when you agree when you go, "You know what, it's okay, go ahead, do it. it's fine. What are you saying? You're saying, "Hey, it's okay for people of the kingdom to do this." Well, the Bible says, well, if you forgo even the least of, of, of these commands, you will be the least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, this is the verse, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds or supersedes that of the Pharisees and the scribes or teachers of the law, you will certainly, truly, thoroughly, nyan, nyan you will not enter The kingdom of heaven. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you were a Jewish person hearing that for the very first time, that would have blown your mind. In the Old Testament, we had the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees had about 600 commandments that they memorized and tried to obey. Jesus is saying, if your righteousness doesn't supersede these guys, you won't get in. Every Jewish person person would have freaked out because it's almost impossible to see how you can be more righteous than the epitome of righteousness in Jewish culture, which was Pharisees and scribes. But Jesus is trying to make a point. He's trying to get us to understand that there is a righteousness that seems righteous to the world, but it still doesn't get you into the kingdom. The Pharisees have taken hold of a self-righteousness that leads to weary, being fatigued, being tied. Why? Because you need self in order to be righteous. Every single day, you need to make sure you do all the right things. You need to check all the right boxes. And here's what he says. Those kind of people, they won't make it in. The only kind of people who make it in are those who rely on Christ's righteousness. And that righteousness leads to rest. It's what he promised the Israelites. He said, listen, I'm going to send you into the promised land where I will give you rest, the land of milk and honey. His desire for you and I has always been since the Old Testament that we would actually live and demonstrate the kingdom from a place of rest. And so that's what he's saying to, his, to, to, to the Jewish people. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Um, Certain cultures like speaking in particular ways to um, communicate importance. So uh, maybe a, a culture that you might know, when they're trying to communicate how important an event is, they'll speak in venue. Like, hey, um, we're having the wedding at the Hyatt Hotel, okay? At the Radisson might at the Maslow. Then you know <clears throat> it's about to go down. Other, other cultures will speak in guest speaker. Hello, how are you doing? We're having Barack Obama around. Doran Wrigley will be in the building, you know, whatever it is. Oh, wow. That's amazing. In my culture, I'm a closer guy. When I speak in terms of importance, we speak in animal, okay? You have to speak in animal. That's the only way closer people can understand how important the venue is. So if I'm coming to your house and you're having chicken, I know it's not that important. You know, I know, okay, I can miss this one, Okay. But you in closer culture, you have to speak an animal to kind of delineate, like, this is important. So this last weekend, I was at my dad's retirement thing for two days. We slaughtered two cows, 23 sheep. and for the vegetarians, 17 chickens. OK? <laughs> Blazing. Now you know what I mean. That, that means it was going down. It was killer. It was important. Two cows, 23 sheep, 17 chicken, you knew. Right? Like people who we don't even know, they don't even, they don't even know my dad, just grabbing a leg. Just, <laughs> this, it's happening. In Jesus' day, Jewish people, when they spoke of preeminence, when they spoke of importance, they spoke in law and deeds. Look at what I did. Look how many laws I obeyed. I deserve to sit on that chair because I I am such a law-abiding Jewish man. They spoke in law and in deeds and in works to create this idea that they are important. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. In the kingdom, when you want to communicate preeminence or importance, you have to speak in Jesus. You have to speak Jesus. It is the only way to open all the doors of the kingdom. Your works and your ability to abide in the law doesn't open one door in the kingdom. All your great works don't have the ability to to get into the kingdom and and access all the rooms of the kingdom. The only way you can access the rooms and the provisions of the kingdom is when you speak Jesus. Then everything in heaven and under heaven, has to pay attention to me, uh, merely or, or measly little you. All of a sudden, when you speak Jesus, everything needs to be attentive to you because you're speaking the language of the kingdom. Luke 18 says something that's quite important. Jesus is speaking to these Jewish people who are so convinced and so confident in their own self-righteousness. And he gives them a parable. I love Jesus. Right? His jabs are always like, okay, fine, let me tell you a story then. You want to disobey? Let me tell you a story. Right? I'm going to try that with my kids. Okay? Here's what he says. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked Down on everyone else. Let me help you know how you might be self-righteous. If you have a habit of looking down on people, whether you are a non-Christian looking down on Christians, whether you are a Christian looking down on non-Christians, whether you are a husband looking down on wife, wife looking down on husband, friend looking down on friend, you get the point. Hmm. You might be just a little bit self-righteous. Now, don't put into fact that I'm looking down on everyone right now, but God knows what we're talking about in this particular moment. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. I love this because here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you you might see a self-righteous person by the way that they treat someone, but you might hear a self-righteous person by the way they pray. Here's what he says. Here's how they pray. God, I thank you that you know, I uh, thank you that you, I, I thank you that I, not, that I am not like the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I thank you, Lord. I thank you I'm not like these guys. You know? Or or, or some of you might come across, Lord, I I thank you that, that, you know, I'm quite a good guy. Thank you that when I pray, you you remember how good I've been. Because I fast twice a week. I do the thing, I fast twice, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Next slide. But this tax collector, and I remember tax collectors were, were traitors to the Jewish people. Uh, being basically trading, uh, being traitors to the Jewish people for the sake of them getting benefits with the Roman Empire. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You ever had that moment when you're upset with something and you kind of, ah! That's what's happening. He, he's realizing man, I, I, I'm not even worthy of this moment. And he He hits himself, he hits his breast out of an expression of realizing, oh my word, woe is me, as Isaiah would say. Have mercy on me, I'm but a sinner. Now here's what Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, in other words, not both of them, only one of them, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you approach God with your self-righteousness, he promises through mercy and grace to humble you. If you approach God, if you approach God with Christ's righteousness, he promises with his grace and mercy to exalt you. It is hard to approach him with Christ's righteousness. Because we somehow want to get what we think we deserve until we mess it up. Until we do the wrong thing. But when we're doing the right thing, it's hard to keep allowing ourselves to go, let me depend on Christ's righteousness that I paid absolutely nothing for. Remember the story, let me be quick with this one, it's Matthew 20. It's an interesting story of a landowner. He gets a bit of land... And then he gets people to come and work on the land. And so at about 5 in the morning, he gets his first worker, workers there. And he tells them, I'm going to pay you 1,000 huh, rand. They're happy. They start working. At about midday, he gets new workers. And he tells them he'll, he'll pay them later. And at about 4, and they're about to knock out at about 6, he gets another couple of workers. And he tells them he's going to pay them as well. And then everybody comes to get their money. And he decides that he's going to give all of them 1,000 rand. And the ones who came in at five go, no, 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 you can't give them a thousand rand whilst we came in at five. By the way, when you read the story, he only tells the ones who came in at five how much he's going to give them. He doesn't tell anyone else how much. He walks up, the guys come, they get upset, and here's what they fail to realize. And he's trying to speak to Jewish people about the history of those who are self-righteous. And here's what he's trying to teach them. You who came in at five, you received from me because of your works. But the ones who came in at four received from me because of my grace. And what happens? The self-righteous get upset because they believe that they deserve more than what has been promised to them. But I've chosen to give these ones based on grace. And that's you and I. You and I have been given the king and his kingdom, not because of works, but because of grace. Second thing, second tension is this, religion and relationship. You can either approach God with religion or you can approach him with relationship. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23 says this, You want to approach God in religion, you want to enter the kingdom. The only way you can enter the kingdom is if you approach Him through relationship. You know, well, what are these guys saying? They're saying, Lord, we, 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 we kind of know you. But if you think we don't know you, just look at all the things that we've done. Let me tell you what religion is. Religion is a, is a distorted gospel. It is the idea that Jesus plus something leads to salvation. Jesus plus your works. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus X. Whatever it is that your X is, whenever there's a, 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 a something after Jesus in the equation, it has become religion. And that leads to a whole bunch of problems. One of the two things that it leads to is that religion will always lead to punishment and condemnation. And the way I love to think about condemnation, condemnation is like a a leash, like a dog leash, right? Um, you, You don't really recognize that you live in condemnation until you start reaching for destiny. Because at some point you realize you can only go as far as condemnation allows you to. Oh man, I, I can't wait. She's so beautiful. He's so handsome. They love God, but they can't be for me, right? Because I've got to check it past. I must find someone who comes to church but is a little bit on the messed up side. Oh, oh, oh look, man, I can I can go for that degree. No, no, no. That degree is not for me because look at where I come from, look at my history. I need to only go for things in my level. Religion will lock you down in condemnation, lock you down into a sense of punishment, and sometimes you will only realize it when you try and go for what God has placed in your life. Um, years ago, Pastor Simon and I were traveling somewhere, I don't know where it was exactly, and uh, we're flying to this place, and I, we're at the airport, and I bumped into a friend of my dad, old guy, used to go to his house and play with his children way back in the day, and um, he asked me a dreaded question, which was dreaded for me at that time. He said, what do you do? I'm like, oh, how do I answer this? Because you know, when I start saying, I'm a pastor, what eventually I'm like, I'm a pastor. And he did what I thought he would do. He laughed, okay? Like it was, there's certain kinds of laughs that communicate certain things. If someone, if someone laughs like, ha, 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 then it's like, nah, it's fine. But when someone laughs like, <laughs> then you know that that's an offensive laugh. That's like, oh, you pity me. You think, you think I'm less than kind of laugh. And he pulled off one of those. <laughs> and I thought to myself, man. I got a little bit angry and, 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 and I bumped into Pastor Sai. I didn't mention to him. And Pastor Sai had gone to the counter to see if we get our tickets upgraded. I don't know whether it's business class or first class. I don't know what it's called. But anyway, it was one of those. Now I'd heard about it. I'd never flown first class before, and I haven't since. Lord, hear my prayers. <laughs> And so, I, I'm in this, so I've heard about it, drinks, you know, long chairs, you know, just people walking around, hey, they're just loving on you. It's literally like the kingdom of heaven. They're just loving on you all the time, just free gifts of the kingdom, right? Supposedly. And I got, it's, I don't know what happened to this first class, maybe we were just humble or something, they just gave us newspapers. And so they did, it was just like one drink and a newspaper. And I was about to read this newspaper, and I thought to myself, you know what? Let me go to coach and find him and bless him with a newspaper. Now, you can interpret that bless him (laughs) however you want. I'll leave that for you and the Lord, but I blessed him. So I went to the coach. I found him. I said, Baba, here you go. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. I walked away. Like, man, just smiling. Like, (laughs) hello, everybody. You know what I mean? Sat down. Here's what I want to tell you. There is, because of relationship, a position in the kingdom whereby you get things that you don't deserve. The the way the Bible puts it, it says you're a branch and he's a vine. No one has to motivate the vine to give life to the branch. It just does it because that's what the vine does. And there's a place in the kingdom where because of relationship, we begin to be given freely so that we might freely give. The key to being a generous kingdom builder is not necessary to go and hoard as much as you can, but it's to learn the discipline of freely receiving. That's all it is, living in Christ's righteousness, held together by this divine relationship in Christ. And Him being the vine, He oozes life onto you. And from a place of rest, you begin to change the world around you. You're not working for the vine to give you something. The vine is, is giving to you freely because you are in relationship. Matthew 23 Verse 25 to 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you can't do both at the same time. The religious want to approach the world with a clean outside. But if you try and clean the outside, you cannot clean the inside. But those who are in relationship focus on cleaning the inside. They allow the relationship of being with Christ to change them from the inside out. And at some point, without them even recognizing it, all of a sudden, the outside of the cup looks clean. Only because they were in relationship. You know, one of the things I've so appreciated about God that in my greatest moments, he reminds me it was because of his grace. And in my worst moments, he reminds me he's still going to give me grace. So at any moment, whether I feel dirty or I feel clean, that grace that comes inside of me, works inside of me, is always producing a fruit that will will come out in the world in a way that brings about impact. Only if I am attached to the vine. Attach yourself to the vine. Last point. You can either approach God with puffed up knowledge Or childlike faith? Puffed up knowledge or childlike faith? Matthew 18 says this, 1-4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change, convert or repent and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's our phrase again. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I love the story, but I love the story that precedes it. Uh, Remember just before this moment, uh, three disciples are chosen by Jesus to go to the mountain, and Jesus gets, gets transfigured. Moses rocks up, Elijah rocks up. It is absolutely crazy, right? Now, I can understand how, how they can have this argument afterwards. I can imagine the guys come down, they're having dinner. One of the three said, "Guys, listen, it was amazing. I saw Moses. Well, I call him Big Mo now. <laughs> I got to see Moses. It was amazing. Uh, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? I mean, amongst us three. Because obviously you only took us three. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? The other guys are feeling jealous. They, 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 they're trying to figure out, man, why did he take the three instead of me? And so they start having this debate as to who the greatest is, is in the kingdom. And Jesus, I love the way he deals with these disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. He just brings a child. He says, all right, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Here's how you do it. Change and become like children. Change and become like this child. What does he mean? If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you need to change from being so dependent on yourself to being completely and utterly dependent on your father. A child is helpless without a parent. Helpless. And he's trying to help them understand that this is the kind of faith that it takes for you to enter the kingdom. This is the kind of faith that it takes for you to advance the kingdom. You must have childlike faith. I am glad that you got to see the transfiguration. But the key to you entering and being in this kingdom is not your grand knowledge, but it is your ability to have childlike faith like this little kid. My... um, My grandfather is passed away long ago, but my, my granddad was um, a complete pagan. Uh, never read a book in his life, never read a Bible in his life, never been to church in his life. And about 31 years ago, 32 years ago, my dad decided that he was going to leave being a teacher and he was going to be a minister. And my grandfather found out about this and so he called my dad and he took took him to Epsilanti, which is a kraal, And he gave him a stick. My dad still has the stick till this day. He gave him a stick. And here's what he said to him. He said, when you go and you do this ministry, when you stand in front of your congregation and you have problems and troubles, when there's no money, I want you to take the stick. And I want you to just wave it. Wave it in front of the people and tell them, it's, it's going to work out. When you walk into a family and they've just lost a child and they don't know what to do, I want you to take the stick. I want you to just wave it in front of the family and begin to speak that everything is going to be okay. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever situation your church finds yourself in, you just take the stick, son, and, and you just wave it and you begin to declare what will happen. You see, my grandfather, who was a pagan, was teaching my dad how to live on childlike faith. That somehow there's this audacious faith that actually allows children of the kingdom to believe that maybe anything is possible. That actually we can walk into any situation and and have faith, not because we are faithful, but because He is faithful. And that there is a way of thinking that has completely been adjusted in our hearts and our minds because of the gospel, that when we face impossibilities, our natural response is not to complain because the gospel has so vastly worked in our souls that somehow we are trained to view life through the lenses of a child who has faith that his father is about to do something incredible, even in the darkest of times, and that we wave a stick knowing that somehow he will part the sea for us. If you are going to be a person of the kingdom, if you're going to respond to the king and advance his kingdom, you need to be a person, a man and a woman of childlike faith. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 3. It says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to, but whoever loves God is known by God. You see, there's a knowledge that puffs up, and I love that word. That word, puffs up, mean, means that it, it, it looks on the outside like it has power, but when you poke it, it disappears like a mist. When you probe it, it lacks substance, character. It's just knowledge that's puffed up to try and pretend like somehow it has it all together. And he says, no, 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 don't don't do that. Don't have this knowledge that puffs up. Rather have this love that builds up. Rather approach life differently than these guys who think that they need to know it all in order to make an impact, in order to bring change. Your knowledge is not enough to advance the kingdom the way the kingdom needs to be advanced. You actually need a radical, absolutely mind-boggling kind of faith. And even on your worst day, your mustard faith is enough to move mountains. Even when you don't feel like you got all that faith together, just that little mustard seed faith, the Bible says that's enough. That's enough. It can move mountains. I'm going to end with the story, and then we close. Um, uh, 32 years ago, this picture is a picture of the church that I grew up in. Uh, this is a church M Danzani. The guy on the pulpit there is my dad. And um, people on that picture are probably some of the best storytellers you will never hear of. Amazing. Amazing. I can't remember one time that I sat in those wooden pews listening to a preacher preach, and I didn't cry since I was a kid. It just, the the way that they preached was absolutely mind-blowing for me. This was at his retirement. I was reminded by this picture when I was a kid. I used to sneak out of my home... um, and because uh, the, the, we stayed in a mission house. And so the church was right next to I used to sneak out and go to the church. Now, in those churches, the pulpit is lifted up. And it's like, it's like this little drum house thing, right? It's, it's meant to be lifted up, you know, for the man of God. It, it's, it's propped it up properly. So you can't just be a willy-nilly just trying to get in. No, no, no. You need to know your way there. And so I, I used to get out of my house go into the pulpit, take a small little chair, and I would put it in front of the pulpit, and I would stand up after I'd taken my dad's gown, and I would stand on this pulpit, empty pews all around me, and I used to preach just over and over again, just shout whatever I could shout. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. 32 years later, I am still standing on that chair today. You don't see it. You don't recognize that as I'm speaking in front of you, I'm standing on the provision of my Father. I'm (laughs) preaching, living up my destiny from the provision, the sacrifices, the blood, sweat, and tears of someone who came before me. This is what it's all about in the kingdom. You and I are meant to live life from the chair of Christ's righteousness Because when we choose to live from our own self-righteousness, we are rejecting the chair of provision. When we choose to live from religion, we are rejecting the chair of our Father's provision. When we choose to live from puffed-up knowledge, we are rejecting the chair of our Father's provision. That chair is a reminder to us of Christ's righteousness that we have obtained because of grace, of this divine relationship of the vine and the branch and this childlike faith that allows mere mountains to be moved at a word from God. I want to encourage you to stand in the chair. Don't try and stand on your own. Stand on the provision that Christ has given to you through the cross. Let's pray. Daddy, thank you again. Always such a privilege to be together all is such a privilege to share your word. Lord, I pray for us even as we enter into the festive season. I feel such an urge, Lord, that each and every one of us would pick up our sticks and, and begin to wave our sticks in the air. And declare your goodness in every single situation. That the faith that you, that you call out of us is firm because of your grand faithfulness to your promises. And so, Lord, we do that today. We, we choose to pick up our sticks. No matter where we have left them, we want to pick them up. And we declare right now, Lord, that we want to be a people of your righteousness, a people found in relationship with you, and a people of divine, extravagant faith. And maybe, just maybe, we will also respond like Matthew was hoping the Jewish people would respond to the king and his kingdom. If you're here today and you know you are not right with God, you do not follow God or you used to follow him and you don't follow him anymore. And you want to enter his kingdom. You want to take on his righteousness and be found in relationship with him if that is you today i want to encourage you to make a choice today to say yes to christ he said yes to you way before you came into this room waiting on you to respond to his grace his mercy if that's you today and you're saying I want to give my life to Jesus Christ do you mind just waving your hand wherever you are just shoot it right high up and I want to pray with you and I want to make sure that you get some content as you make this decision anyone here who's saying that's me I want to give my life to Jesus anyone here today anyone here today who's saying I want to give my life to him this great privilege of hearing your word together. And may we be those kingdom bearers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Siv. Can we give a round of applause?